You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. 1,987 years ago, Jesus walked the earth. History has proven he's a real person. He's not a mythological character. Jesus was born, he lived, he walked the earth, recorded miracles about his life, even outside of the Bible. He was crucified, he was buried. Three days in the grave, he rose again from the dead. The question is, what do we do with that? What now? You know, last week we celebrated Easter, and Easter was awesome, and around the world, churches and Christians around the world proclaimed one message, he is risen. And now we all continue to our, quote, normal service routine. But nothing's normal if the resurrection is real. And it is real, so nothing's normal. So today I want to talk about the what now, the what next. All right, the grave is empty. What do we do with it? It's not the end of the story. This is not where we just kind of go back into our routine and we're just thankful that, that it happened. No, after he rose, the Bible says that he actually appeared over the course of 40 days, over 11 times. In fact, this is what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It says, after his suffering, that's the cross, he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of heaven. You see, the Bible gives us five different comparisons of what happened after the resurrection. Four in the Gospels and one in Luke. And what appear to be contradictions in the commentary are actually complementary accounts. And together, the four of them give us an amazing picture of what happened after Jesus rose from the grave. From the resurrection to the ascension, 40 days. Now, here's what's interesting too is 40 days. We're going to talk in a minute about how 40 is an extremely important number because whenever you see that, see that in the Bible, that means that something significant is about to happen or is taking place. It's the beginning of something brand new whenever you see 40 This was not mass hallucinations or hypnosis. This was real life appearances after he was dead, he rose again, and not just a couple of people saw it, but many. In fact, here's kind of the play-by-play of those 11 recorded, and we know there could have possibly been more, but this is what the Bible tells us. On resurrection day, the order of appearance was Mary Magdalene alone. And then four women that would be Mary number two, Salome, Joanna, and a plus one who is not mentioned. And there might have even been more women because it said, and the other women. And then also on resurrection day, Corinthians and Luke mentions that Peter saw Jesus alone. It's not elaborated on, but it is mentioned. And then on the road to Emmaus, he hangs out with the disciple called Cleopas, and many believe to be Cleopas' wife, Mary, who is either the sister or the cousin of, or the sister-in-law or the cousin of Jesus' mother Mary, and Mary was at the cross. So Jesus is showing up, and many believe that Cleopas is his, you know, his foster father, Joseph, you know, Mary and Joseph, you know, but Joseph died, and that Cleopas is Joseph's brother. So he actually appeared to his aunt and uncle on the road to Emmaus. And then to the disciples and a group of others without Thomas that night of the resurrection. But it wasn't over for a week later, he appeared again to the disciples as a group. This time, Thomas was there. And then two weeks after the resurrection, one week later, he appeared to just seven of the disciples at the famous Sea of Galilee appearing where they were fishing, and he calls him in for some fish breakfast. That doesn't sound like appealing breakfast. But Jesus, by the way, whenever Jesus is cooking a meal, you know what he's always cooking? Fish. There's a, <laughs> he talks about fish all the time. In fact, he brings him in to fix some breakfast, and he's frying fish for breakfast. Jesus loves fish. And then three weeks to four weeks after the resurrection, another week and a half later, he appears to all the disciples on a mountain in Galilee. 
and also he appears to the disciples in a crowd of people of about uh, over 500 people, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 records. And then the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that he also appeared to James, his half-brother. It's not elaborated on, but it is mentioned. And then 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus gathers his disciples all together and gives them what's known as the Great Commission. And on that day, at that moment, he gives them this last final charge, his final instructions before leaving earth. He gives them the most important instructions of any disciple, and he gives them the Great Commission. He gives them that challenge, and then he is literally taken up into heaven. He ascends into heaven. Now, we don't know what that looks like. In fact, any movie I've ever seen of Jesus, it's never shown the ascension. It's shown the disciples like this. Or a, you know, and then boom, blowing, you know, and you just, you don't, you don't know what it looks like, you know. And some of the pictures they have them like, oh, you know, floating. We don't really know, but it says he ascended into the heavens. It's known as the ascension, from from the crucifixion to the resurrection to the ascension. Now Paul sums up all these appearances in kind of a nutshell giving the highlights of what he feels are the highlights in 1 Corinthians 15 too, He says, it is this good news that saves you. What he's about to say is the good news, is the gospel that saves you. If you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. And I think that's interesting because a lot of people believe in Jesus, but they believe the wrong thing about Jesus. You know, they believe in the cross, but they don't believe the cross paid for their sins. They believe that Jesus died, but maybe they don't believe he was resurrected. Or they believe he was resurrected, but he wasn't resurrected in the flesh. It was only his spirit. Well, the apostle Paul says here, says this is the gospel that saves us. This is what we must accept unless you believe the wrong thing about Jesus. He says, you need to get back to what the core of the gospel is for this is what is important. He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me from the apostles and from Christ himself. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He refers to the gospels, by the way, as scripture. That's significant because within 30 years of the resurrection of Jesus, this Bible that hadn't been put together yet, the New Testament, was already being referred to as scripture. So he says, just as the scripture said, he was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive today, though some have died. Basically, he says, a lot of them are alive. And if you don't believe me, go ask him yourself. He says, then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. You see, Jesus appeared, check this out, to the apostle Paul in the flesh four years after his resurrection. So Paul actually persecuted the church and attacked the church for nearly three and a half uh, years after Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus intervened in Paul's life and called him to do a great work for the kingdom. And it was four years after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to the apostle Paul. Jesus is alive. He appeared physically to others. There's no doubt these eyewitnesses' accounts, they launched the early church through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you are like, man, I wish I was there. I wish I could have seen, man, Jesus and touched his nail-scarred hands and seen that wound on the side. I've been kind of gross to, you know, put my hand in it and stuff. I always thought that was gross when Tom, he says, Thomas, put your hand in my hand. Put your hand in my side. I'm like, no, I'm good, Jesus. <laughs> you know, I'm like, nah, that's good. But man, if we could have been there to see that. But this is what Peter says to you. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know what? That video that we saw earlier about the ascension, how, you know, it had been great to have Jesus in our arms, but man, he left so that we could know him even better. You see, if he was alive on this earth and he decided to make his throne in Israel and in Jerusalem, guess what? If anybody here wanted to see Jesus, guess where you'd have to go? 
You have to have to buy like a $1,500 plane ticket and figure out your accommodations and travel to Israel just to see him and then maybe wait in line for days and days and days as there would always be millions of people wanting to see Jesus. But Jesus says, no, 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 I got even something even better. I came to you because you couldn't get to me. And now I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you so that you don't have to come to me still. He's still saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to the cross. But he's saying, I will come to you. If you will take that step, I will take that step. See, he's already taken the first step, the cross. And now he says, you want to know me better than the apostles? The Peter says, man, you guys are receiving an inexpressible joy because of your faith. And after Thomas finally saw Jesus and believed, Jesus said to him, Jesus told him, he says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have seen and yet not believed or uh, who have seen and yet believed. That word blessed is not meaning you have a good day. You're going to have a good day because you believe. No, that word blessed in the Hebrew tradition is a word that's based out of the Hebrew word of shalom, which means every aspect of your life is filled with peace and satisfaction. See, if you can understand who Jesus is, shalom, blessed. Jesus is victorious and no single book can contain all he's done. John says this, referring to Jesus after the resurrection in verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We can be confident in what the apostles give us to tell us about Jesus. It's important to realize that the Gospels are not always biographical, but they are apologetical. What that means is the word apologetics means a ready answer. You see, the ancients were not so much concerned about chronology as they were about character. This is what it means. When you read the Gospels, you're like, man, the order seems like all whack and stuff. That's because the ancients didn't focus on a timetable. They focused on the character. So when you read the Gospels, what you're getting is the character of God. You're getting the character of Jesus. And so there's some variations in the Gospels because the ancients focused on the person, not the chronological timetable. should be good now. All right. In case you started to fall asleep, that was for you. <laughs> the ancients focus on character analysis over chronology. So John 21, 24 makes sense. This is the disciple who testified to these things who wrote them down. These are eyewitness accounts. The gospels are eyewitness accounts. He says, we know that this testimony is true. His testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well, even if one of them were written down, if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. There were more miracles, there were more events, there was even more teaching as the New Testament was written to give more of them. There's so much more about Jesus to know and understand, but we can be confident that what we have is enough to tell us all we need to know about the character of God and salvation. See, those Jesus sightings, those 40 days are significant. Every time you see 40 in the Bible, it means that something is about to change or something big is about to happen. In fact, for the 40 days, he hung out at home, traveled with friends, ate meals, taught about the kingdom, but it meant that God was about to launch a new movement. Check this out. These are just some of the some of the 40s in the Bible, this might seem overwhelming. We're not going to go through all of them today. We're not going to go through any of them today. I just thought you might want to look at it. There's over 146 times that the word 40 is used in a significant way in the Bible. There's certain numbers in the Bible that are significant. 40 is one of them. 40 always means big change. It means a launch. It means that life is about to take a turn. You got here, like for instance, the Bible was written by 40 people. Noah was, was uh, uh, there was 40 days and 40 nights of rain. 
There was a, the great flood. Abraham, 40 righteous people request. Moses, 40 days with God on Mount Sinai. Gave us the word of God. 40 days he sent the spies and explored Canaan, which changed and altered their future. 40 years a generation wandered in the desert because of their hard-heartedness. 40 years Moses was a prince. 40 years he was a shepherd. And 40 years he was the deliverer. Israel was held captive by the, Philist by the Philistines for 40 years. Goliath taunted the Israel for 40 days. Ezekiel, 40 days he laid on one side representing sin and how God spoke through him. Jonah, uh, he gave them 40 days to repent or God's judgment would come upon Nineveh. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus all fasted for 40 days. Saul, David, and Solomon, all of them each ruled a united kingdom for 40 years. Jesus was tempted for 40 days in the desert. And Jesus, 40 days after the resurrection, appeared to his disciples. And by the way, how many weeks is a full-term pregnancy? It's 40 because at 40, God sets in place big change. Today, the last sighting, the most significant challenge that Jesus gives us, his followers, this is the what now. He's, he's a real person. He lived. He died. He, he, he gave his life for our sins. He was buried. He rose again from the dead. This is the what now. Final instructions before he left the earth. One last time with his disciples, this is it. Acts 1 is where it happens. The most important thing that we'll ever hear from Jesus is about to be said to you as a disciple right now. So Acts 1, we're going to read, uh, starting with verse 1. It says this, in my former book, the Gospel of Luke is what he's referring to. Acts is written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a physician. He traveled with the Apostle Paul, and a lot of what he wrote down was dictated words from the Apostle Paul and from the other apostles and the Apostle Peter. Uh, so in his former book, the Gospel of Luke, he says he's writing to a friend named Theophilus. Everybody say Theophilus. Theophilus was a brand new Christian. In fact, we know by the name that he was a, a Roman citizen. He might have even been, some say, uh, Luke's prior master because Luke, as a physician, had to be a servant to a master for a generation, well, for about 10 to 20 years to learn a, phys a physician trade. So some people believe that Luke was writing to his former master, Theophilus. He says, I wrote all that Jesus began to do and to teach. You see, Luke, the story of Jesus is just the beginning until the day he was taken up into heaven. That's the ascension. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, the death on the cross, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. I want you to write this down. Jesus was very clear on his mission. Now, we've said this the last few weeks, and I want you to know this from the deepest part of your life and your core, the cross was the plan. His burial was the plan. The resurrection was the plan. There's no surprises, no tricks, no sad stories, no bad turn of events. This was the plan. Jesus was very clear on his mission. Jesus was not confused or misled to his death, it was not a mistake. It was on point. It was intentional. Jesus had come to die for us, for you. He often said he would be crucified and rise again for the forgiveness of sin, our penalty upon himself. See, the cross is not a sad story. It's a story of triumph and victory. When we look at the cross, we shouldn't be going, oh, I'm so sorry. We should say, thank you, Jesus. We should be humbled by the cross. That victorious moment that took our sin and shame and he bore it upon himself. Thank you, Jesus. I'm humbled by that. I am I'm brought to tears because of humility for what you have done for me. His work of salvation is finished. His work now begins through us. He goes on to say in verse 4, on one occasion after the resurrection, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Now, anybody here good at waiting? Raise your hand if you're good at waiting. Really? Some of you are like, I'm pretty good at waiting. That is a very, 
I'll tell you, there's a young person named Joseph Lovin over here. I'll tell you, he is good at waiting. He is the most patient person I've ever seen. He's so patient. <laughs> he just moses. Uh, he just, he's just so calm and just kind of relaxed. I love that. It is a real gift. It's a real skill. But most of us are not, who's not patient very good? That's, that's most of us, right? But he says this. He says, all right, disciples, here's what I want you to do now. I want you to wait. And not only wait, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. Now, you might think, Jerusalem, that's not a big deal. You got to realize, just 40 days earlier, a month earlier, they attacked Jesus, tortured him, and put him to death. They all think they're next. They don't want to stay in Jerusalem. They want it. The city is hostile to followers of Jesus. All of the religious leaders are hostile with the followers of Jesus. And Jesus says, now go back to Jerusalem, hang there, and just wait in Jerusalem. For the gift my, promise, my father promised which you've heard me speak about, which is the Holy Spirit, he says, is about to happen to you there. He says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Everybody say baptized. The word baptized means dunked. It means to, to be immersed. It means immersion. And I want you to write this down as this. Now, you have knowledge, he was telling his disciples, but now you need power. You see, there's a lot of people who claim to be Christians, and the Bible says they, they have the appearance of, of godliness, but they deny the power. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not knowledge. It's an understanding through the power of the Holy Spirit that changes us. That power of God through the actions of Jesus given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit is what changes us. Knowledge does not change. Knowledge alone, the Bible says, just puffs up. It just makes you prideful. It makes you someone who thinks you know a lot. See, Christianity is more than information. It is about immersion. You see, God has called us to, like water immersion, we are to be immersed or soaked or drenched or totally covered in the Holy Spirit. So he says, yeah, you guys know what water baptism is, and that's great. We are to be baptized. That's part of the Great Commission. But he says, after that comes another baptism, and it's a baptism in the Holy Spirit. You're about to get soaked. Then they gathered around him, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He's risen from the dead. They're still not clear. They thought that Jesus was going to set up some kind of political. Imagine this. Imagine that a guy who can't die is going to lead a revolution. All right, just think about that for a second. They've been under domination and persecution. They've been under, uh, you know, some country has oppressed Israel at this point for uh, about 300 years, 400 years, and they haven't had their own place, their own nation. They're basically subjects of some other country. And they're finally, they're finally going to have this guy who's not just great, but man, man, if you're hungry, here's food. Boom, man, bring it out of nothing, right? You're thirsty, boom, here's water, man. Right? You're sick, hey, no problem. Boom, 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 right? And... If they were to kill him, no problem. Boop, he's back up. He can't be stopped. What kind of leader would this be if you were looking for a political revolution? He would be the ideal. So they asked Jesus, is this it? Is, are you now going to overthrow Rome and set us all in as a nation? And this is what he says. He said, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. He basically says, don't worry about it. Just do what I'm about to tell you to do. Can you do that? I want you to write this down. Don't focus on the end time. Focus on the now time. Don't worry about the transition. He wants us to focus on the mission. He's about to give us a very clear directive for our life. The most important challenge and news of our entire life he's about to give and we're obsessed with end time books we're reading the stars you know a couple of years ago we had four red blood moons in one year in a one-year period two in two uh two one year two another but it was in a, a one-year period and it was like you thought jesus was coming back 
right? I don't know if you followed any of the books, Christian community, so many of them are just so obsessed with the end times and like books were flying off the shelves. The end is coming, you know, and every, every time we get a president, it's, he's the Antichrist. George Bush, well, it goes all the way back, you know, in the 70s was a really big end time focus this year in the Vietnam War because the world was in crazy town. I mean, we had rioting and crazy scandals and, and deception. It was just craziness. But every president since then and every attorney general and every economics person, almost every person on the cabinet of every president has been a nominee for the Antichrist. Right? And guess what? Our new president is considered by some to be the Antichrist. But they thought the last one was too. Jesus is saying this. Guys, just settle down. He's saying, stop focusing on the end time. Start focusing on the now time. Don't worry about the transition. Focus on the mission because I have something for you. Until that day comes, I have something for you to do. Don't worry about it. Just do what I tell you. So what does he tell them to do? Verse 8, the very next verse, this is what he says. He says, but, this is the mission. Don't worry about that, but focus on this. I, he says, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, that means you're going to tell what you know, have seen, have heard, and experienced with me. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's locally, in all Judea, that's geographically, and Samaria, that's demographically, and to the ends of the earth, that's globally. I want you to write this down. Jesus gives us a clear mission. Not only was he clear on his mission, Jesus gives us a very, very clear what now. He says, you will be my witnesses in Garland, in Saxe, in Wiley, in Plano, in Rowlett, in the greater Dallas Metroplex, in Texas, in the U.S., and to the ends of the earth. The mission is very clear. Tell the world the good news of Jesus to everyone you know. That's our mission. That is why you are alive today if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. If you are not a follower, you are alive to know Jesus. Once you know him, you are alive to let others know him. That is it. You're not here to make money. You're not here to, to you know, to have a nice house, a nice car, and even to have a, a beautiful family. You are here to make him known. All those things that he gives you are the tools and the platform to make him known to the world. He says, this is it, guys. This is what you are to be about. Jesus echoed our very clear mission over and over. In Matthew 28, a version of the ascension at the, uh, at, the, um, at the last ascension, he gives them this. He says, then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Everybody said, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. In Luke 24, he says, so that the forgiveness of sins will be preached to every nation. In John 20, 21, he says, as the Father has sent me, I now am sending you. And in Matthew 4, 19, Jesus gives this invitation to follow. He says, come and follow me and I will make you fisher of men. I will cause you to have such an influence that you will draw people in to the kingdom of heaven. This is our mission. Jesus is so clear on our mission. This is the what now. He has risen from the dead. What now? Jesus says, the mission. The mission. We are rescued, saved, and born again for a purpose. We are not simply saved for heaven's sake and hell's avoidance. We are petitioned, commissioned, and unleashed with purpose to tell the world that Jesus has accomplished and done what he said he would do, the cross and the resurrection. This is the reason you are alive today. This is the reason that you have been extended the gift of salvation so that you might be his voice. Here's the order of the mission. He, gave, he makes it very clear. It's, it's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the world. I want you to think about this for a minute. 
Basically, this means start at home and work your way out. You know what that means? That means you can start today. That means you don't have to go on this big fundraising campaign to go on mission. That means you don't have to like plan like six months in advance. I'm going to go to Haiti, which we're going to be going to Haiti again this year. And you can say, man, I six months, I'm going to go on mission in six months or seven months. We're looking at going during the Christmas season, the week after Christmas. You're like, all right, that's when I'm going to go on mission. No, Jesus said, no, no, no. Start in Jerusalem, your backyard. You see, we don't have to have a fundraiser to go across the street. You might have to raise some funds to go across the sea. But Jesus says, right now, I want you to start today. Start today. You're going to lunch today. Start today. You're going back home today at some point. Start today. You got neighbors. You're going back to work tomorrow morning. You've got tomorrow on mission, on point. Jesus says, go. You ready? Here it is. Start today. You've got your Jerusalem. And I love this. That means right in your own backyard, Judea. That means geographically the people around you. Yeah, it, it's literally Judea was the town next to uh, um, Jerusalem. Now, this is what's interesting. Samaria is the people they didn't like. So I call that demographically because that means Jesus says he wants you to talk to the people you don't like. They didn't like the Samaritans. Jewish people thought the Samaritans were like, Scummy people who denied Jesus and the true gospel of God years ago, and so they wanted nothing to do with him. And Jesus says, guess what? The people you don't like, that's who I want you to go talk to. People that are outside of your safety zone. People that look different than you. People that are of a different race and background, like an ethnic background. People that even believe different things from you. Jesus says, go to them. That's your Samaritans to go to. This is locally, geographically demographically, and to the ends of the earth. That one we kind of get. That one we understand. It's called missions. But missional living is when we realize it's part of our plan today. See, God's kingdom must be our highest priority above all other things. He told them this. He says, you will be my witnesses. That word there is martus. It's where we get the word martyr from. You know what that means? It's a genuine testimony proven through death. This is what he says. To be a witness, it means you give your life. Now, some of you, I doubt you'll ever have a uh, sword to your throat, which, by the way, a lot of Christians around the world do. There's just a whole group of uh, believers in Egypt, again, that had their heads cut off recently. We may never have a sword to our throat. But that does mean that our life is to be about and we are to give our life for the purpose of Jesus Christ. Are you a martus? Here's what you write. Well, Acts 1a says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And you think, man, I don't know if I can do this, Ted. I don't know if I want to give my life. I don't know if I want my whole life to be about Jesus. I, you know, I thought I just was trying to get out of hell. I thought I was just saying, yes, Jesus, I want you to fix my marriage, and I want, I want to feel better about myself. I don't know if I'm ready to do this. Well, guess what? You can't do it, and that's why number three is so important. He says, you receive the Holy Spirit, then you'll be my martus. Then you'll be my witnesses. I want you to write this down. Jesus gives us the power for that mission. Power for what? He gives us the power to live a life that honors God before others. And the power and boldness to tell the good news of Jesus to others. That is what the power of the Holy Spirit is all for. When he ascended, he says, don't worry, guys. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm giving you more of me. I'm going to give you more of me. In the form of the power of God through the person of the Holy Spirit, he's going to tell you all about me. He's going to remind you about me. He's going to stir a love and a passion for me. He's going to give you boldness in me. He's going to give you uh, instruction and conviction on how to live a holy life before others in me. He says, you want to know me even better? Here's the Holy Spirit. You see, that's the power to live the Christian life. The Holy Spirit is the power of God in us to do it. You see, the Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not a force. He is God. The Holy Spirit is God referred to as a person. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as our gift, as our comforter, as our helper, as our advocate, as our teacher, as our guide, and as the power of God at work in us. We are drawn to understand, grasp, and turn to Jesus 
through the Holy Spirit, we are redeemed and adopted and made holy and follow Jesus by the Holy Spirit to effectively tell the world and love others we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit to convict, draw, lead, and empower us to be his martus. You might think, well, I don't know if I can stand up in front of my friends. I don't know if I can, you know, talk to my boss or talk to my coworkers or talk to that guy at the lunch table. I don't know if I can. You can't, but the Holy Spirit can. The Holy Spirit in you can. That's what he's here for. I want you to, and because of that, this is what's great. And you see this all through the Bible. Is because the Holy Spirit in us can. Write this down. God uses unexpected people to accomplish his mission. Don't forget who that ragtag team called disciples were. There were farmers and fishermen, businessmen, society rejects, tax collectors, zealous fighters who had anger issues, sinners caught in the act. Jesus says, hey, you know what? Follow me. Because he uses unexpected people to accomplish his mission. You might be sitting here, you know what, Ted? I've done a lot of things I'm not proud of. And, you know, I'm giving my life to Jesus. And I'm like on the bottom of the list of who God could use. You're right, you are. And that's why he'll probably pick you first. Because he says, you know what? When I work in you, you're going to know for a fact it's me, not you. Now, some of you, you know what? If you lived a good life and you haven't been addicted to drugs and haven't done alcohol, good news for you. God can use you too. He's looking for just worthy, uh, not worthy. He's looking for humble. He's looking to willing vessels. He uses the unexpected to accomplish his mission through the power of the Holy Spirit. So verse 9, he says this, After he had said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. He did not die again. He ascended to the throne of God. It was not imagined. They saw it. Now, I want you to see something here. I've always wanted one of these as a kid. So when I had a kid, I got one. And then we will never throw it away. (laughs) Our girls are teenagers, and this will stay with me forever because it reminds me of, as a kid, how I always wanted one of these. And this is what it does. That's it. Isn't that cool? (laughs) people love this. I set this on the chair the other day, and I walked up to the top to give Luke the computer for this week, and this is what I saw Mike Walls do. (laughs) I don't know if he knew anybody was watching. I looked down from the top, and this is just doing that. So I'm like, yeah, done that before. So (laughs) here's what I think. The gospel is like this. This is what the early church is like. God's saying, you know what, come to me. You know, all these tips represent different people who God chooses, the unexpected to choose. And this purple, it kind of represents our color from last week, the royalty, the power of God at work in us, as rule and reign, his authority in our life. But here's what's cool. Every time you throw this up, it goes out, right? And every time it comes down, it gets smaller. Well, I guess you could probably drop it and stay big, but oh, look, there you go. Let's see. So again, boom, see? So it gets small every time. So it gets big. If I could throw it up to the top, it'd probably get really big. I won't. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to break it, and I want this to last forever because <laughs> I love these. <laughs> but I think of this. I think this is what God says. He says, if you will go, I will expand the sphere of your influence, right? We'll stay connected. And each week, Bible studies, small groups, come on now, collapse on me. Here we go. We'll come together, we'll pray, we'll get focused, we'll be challenged. But really, this is not what we're designed to do. We're designed and empowered to do this. And it happens when you leave. See, it happens when you're launched. It happens when you're when you leave this place today. See, this is what's cool about this. It's cool because it gets big. But it's uniquely connected to stay strong together. And I think, you know what? Many of us, this is all we want to do. We just want to live here. We just want to go to church. And I just want to go home. 
We just want to go to church, and we just want to go home. We're going to go to work. We're going to worry about what's happening on Monday, and, you know, sports teams on Thursday, and, you know, my class is on Friday, and, you know, or, or you know, just mowing the lawn, all that stuff's important. That's a part of life. Those are wonderful things, but those are also spheres of influence for you. See, when you go to that soccer practice, when you go to that game, when you go, when you're mowing your yard and you talk to your neighbors, you know what? Our sphere of, our sphere of influence is to expand. And Jesus is saying, you're only going to be, you're only going to fulfill what you're designed to do when you go. But the power to do this is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So they looked up at that sky and look at what it says here, verse Nine. It says, after he said this, he was taken up before the very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Three years of walking with him, blind eyes open, healings, raised the dead, conquered death itself. He's finally back. Now it's time for a goodbye, but Jesus, you know, I want you to stay. But Jesus says, no, no, the baton is now given to you. Run with it. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. These are angels. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken away from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. What are you looking at? He says, get to work. Guys, I want you to look up at the sky for a minute. Today's color of grace is blue. As they stood there at the ascension and wondered what they were to do, an angel of the Lord says, hey, guys, the mission has been given. Get to work. Why are you navel-gazing? Why are you just looking up at the sky? Why are you just, you know, just figuring out what you're doing? I mean, you've got clear mission. You've got a purpose. You've got a reason to live. I want you to write this down, and this is what the blue sky reminds us also, is that Jesus, his next mission is the return. See, the Bible is very clear that he's coming back again, and the resurrection is proof. That empty tomb is proof. There is evidence of that resurrection being true and real, historical evidence, eyewitness accounts. The tomb is empty. He is alive. He's been seen. And as sure as he rose from the dead, that's a guarantee that he is coming back again. And so that next mission of Jesus, let that blue sky, man, when you walk out of here today, if it's not gray, if it's not cloudy, look up at that sky. And I want you to imagine what it would have been like to stand there the day that their Savior ascended into heaven. And they just waited, Jesus, surely, this can't be it. They had to remind themselves. He said, go and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit, which would give us the ability to be martyrs for him. And those two angels, in case they were dragging their feet, said, hey, guys, get to it. Let that blue sky remind you of your mission and his mission to return. He's coming back. But this time, not as a servant, but as a warrior king. And he has not lax. He has not forgotten you. And we should have an expectation of his return. The resurrection is proof that he is coming. That blue sky is a reminder that he's coming back. And I want you to write this down. This is the last thing, a, kind of a, a, a real big challenge. Is that until then, we are his hands. We are his feet. We are his voice. You. Followers of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, I want you to realize that being a Christian is not a belief system. It is a, is a discipleship process of following Jesus. You know what a disciple is? Here's what a disciple is. A disciple is simply someone who hears what God says to do as the next step for their life, and they take it. That's a disciple. So whether you're a brand new Christian or you've been walking with Jesus for 70 years, as long as you're hearing his voice through the word of God and through your spirit, what he's saying for you to do, and you take that step, you are a disciple. Disciple means to follow. That's what the word literally means. It means follower. So he's called you to be a disciple, to just hear his voice and take that next step. And he's called you to be a discipler of others. How do you be a disciple? How do you make disciples? Very simple. You help someone hear the voice of God for their life and help them take the next step with God. That's it. It's not a 20-minute Bible study at Starbucks every week. 
It's not reading through a book. You know, it's not even outreach and ministry. All these things are fine and good, and they're tools to help us grow and to extend the kingdom. But a disciple is someone who says yes to that step, yes to that step, yes to that step. God, I'm struggling with the next one, but I'm going to do it anyhow. Yes to that step. That's a disciple. Now, here's a discipler. Hey, you you know what I, since God is speaking to you about, what do you feel like God is talking to you about? Is that what it is? Well, hey, why don't I help you take that next step? We'll take that next step together, and we'll take that step together. That is making disciples, helping someone to follow, and you following. And Jesus says, go and make disciples. See, we're all caught up in how many verses we got to memorize and how many books of the Bible we got to read in order to be a disciple, how many times we got to come to church to be a disciple. And, and if we're a disciple gives money and a disciple volunteers, and you know, those are the things that Christians do in their maturity and what we should do, whether we're babies or Christians for 100 years, if you live to be that long. But being a disciple is taking that step. He says, go and make disciples. And until I come back, be my hands, be my feet, be my voice. In Matthew 2, Jesus gives us a parable. A boss leaves his wealth in the hands of three servants. Two did great things with it. One hid it. The master responds to each, but what he says to the ones who did great things with it is what I want to hear when he comes back for me. But I have a question. What will he find? Are his people going to be too scared to tell a friend, too selfish to help a neighbor, too proud to reach out to a stranger, paralyzed by what people think, married to materialism and self-obsessed with self-pursuits? Jesus will be back. And when he gets back, what will he find with you? In that parable, this is what he said to those that use what he had given them wisely. And this is what I pray. This is the longing of my heart since I was a young man that I want to hear Jesus say to me, he says, the Lord said to him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things and I will make you rule over many. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. This is the cry of my heart. Well done. Good and faithful servant, enter now to the joy of the Lord. Come on, son. You didn't do everything right, but you tried. You didn't do everything perfectly, but you took a step. And you followed me to the best that you could through the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, you let God use you and reach out to others. Come on, son. Welcome, good and faithful servant. It doesn't say perfect because I'm not perfect and neither will you be ever. We won't be. But until then, we can be his hands and his feet and his voice. And if we're faithful in doing that, come on, son. Come on, daughter. Welcome unto the joy of the Lord. Till that day, we pray, we obey, we tell, we love, we connect, we trust, we wait. So this is the deal. Every time you look at that blue sky, we wait and we obey. The ascension in Luke, verse 24. We're going to read this and we're going to end. He said this to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. I love that. Will you let Jesus open up your mind to the scripture? And he told them, verse 46, this is what it is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. That's his clear mission. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, you are to be witnesses of these things. That's our clear mission. And I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. That's the power of the mission. And then he says, verse 50, then he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them, and he was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy where they waited for the Holy Spirit.
every day that we get up and we get to look at that sky and you get to walk out of your house and whether it's blue or gray or cloudy, that sky is a reminder that he's coming back and that it's a reminder of our mission. And I want to challenge you to keep that mission on point. God has given us the what now. We've got the what now. We've got the how. It's now it's time for the do. We are to be people unleashed in a city, in the world, in our neighborhoods, proclaiming the life and love of Jesus everywhere we go. And I want to commission you. Jesus stood on that mountain just before he left, Mount of Olives. And he commissioned them. He blessed them. I'm not Jesus, but I want to maybe give an opportunity for you to imagine that Jesus is personally commissioning you. If you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you want to accept this mission to go into all the world, starting with your own neighborhood, your own school, your own boss, your own family, whatever your sphere of influence is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're saying, Jesus, I will go, I will do what you call me to do, I will obey, then I want to pray for you and I want you to stand right where you are right now. You say, you know what, that's me. I will be a voice in the commission of Jesus Christ. I will tell the world of who he is. I will be his hands. I will be his feet. I will be his voice to those that will hear me. Now I want to commission you, and I'm going to pray for you. Father, I pray, Lord, as we stand here before you, just go ahead and raise your hands right where you are, uh, disciples. God, we are disciples of Jesus and we hear this challenge, Father, to go. It's the what now, God, and we will do this, Lord, to the best of our ability, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you, Lord, that when we bow the knee to Jesus, you fill us with the Holy Spirit. And God, I thank you, Lord, that when we say yes to Jesus inside of us, we get the deposit of the power of God in our life. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead now dwells and lives in us and gives us the power to make a difference in the world. And God, many of us, God, through obedience and through faith, we will see the miraculous in our life and through our life. But God, every one of us here can be a part of the miracle of salvation by extending the kingdom and opening our voice, being a helping hand being a hug, being a kind word in the name of Jesus. So I commission you in the name of Jesus Christ to go into all the world, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. God, help us to do this, Lord, I pray, as a church and as individuals in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.